heart rate went up like so high at one point and his blood pressure went down so low. I remember one night I was just holding his hand and, you know, I'll never forget this ever for my whole life now because it was the scariest thing um, ever being a mom so far. And I'm looking at him and I'm just like, sweetie, I love you. I don't know if this is, I don't know what God intends and what the end of the days are for us, but like, just thank you for being my son and just... Welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast, the show that inspires, promotes, and gives you a daily dose of inspiration from the people who have used cannabis to change their lives in extraordinary ways. Here's your host, Justin Benton. Welcome back to the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant with so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. Well, today we have an incredible episode for you, an amazing guest who's been with us many times over, Kristen Selby Gonzalez, who's told her beautiful story about how this miracle plant has helped uh, help her, you know, have a relationship with her son, help her son uh, restore his health. And it's been such a, a beautiful journey over the years to hear his progress in surfing and horseback riding and new words and just, you know, proms and all this beautiful, beautiful things. And then, uh, which has been wonderful, uh, but unfortunately, uh, any parent's worst nightmare uh, happened with Kristen and her son, and uh, it, it landed them in the hospital. And uh, once again, we ha- we know about this miracle plant. We know it can help us. And uh, Kristen, once again, had to had to call to it to come in and, and help her out, just like it's helped me and my son and my family and countless families around the around the world. And so we're welcoming Kristen back to the show uh, so she can share again the power of this miracle plant. So Kristen Selby Gonzalez, welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to continue to share our story and um, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, I know it's a long story and for whatever reason, it's been hard to get it captured on the podcast, but darn it, we're gonna get it out there. So uh, I, I love your patience and your resiliency, even just getting the story out there. So. I'll pass the mic over to you and, you know, maybe give a little, you know, summary of what, uh, uh, how this miracle plant originally started helping your family and how it helped uh, in this latest episode. Sure. So um, if you guys haven't heard this story, I'll just give you like, a, as Justin said, a quick, you know, review of how we found the plant and how it helped us and where we were and where we are now. Um, so I would say, gosh, probably, probably closer to six years ago, we started, um, getting a lot of aggression with our son. And, um, so right now he's 20. So I would say around age 14, puberty was kicking in and, um, he just, uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere became aggressive and we went to every doctor. We tried everything we could find. We were trying CBD. Um, it kind of took the edge off, but we didn't see anything miraculous. Like you hear these stories and you know, Oh, we tried this and it totally helped. Like none of that was working for us. And then I would say maybe about four years ago, um, in the total trenches of just dealing with our son's major, major aggression. And when I say major aggression, I'm talking like scary aggression, like holes in our walls, um, running for my life at different points. I'm not exaggerating. Um, I was fearful of my own son. His eyes would change Um, and he just looked like a different person and, um, my arms were just covered with bruises. Um, you know, he would bite, he would, um, be destructive. It was just very scary. And we had never seen anything like that. It was not our son. Turned out that we found out that he was having what some people, um, probably still don't understand is when people have epilepsy, they can, it can cause aggression and it might not look like your standard, you know, seizure. And so he was having aggression type seizures. And so unless you knew you were, what you're looking for, you might not see that. So even though we were getting some of the other seizures under control, where it looked like, you know, he would drop to the ground and, and, and shake like some, a traditional person might think of what a seizure looks like. They really, they're all different types. Sometimes you can stare, sometimes you can fall to the ground and other times you can have forms of aggression and behavioral issues. And so when you have autism, often the doctors just want to write it off, right? Like, oh, it's autism. And let me tell you, that's not the case. And so um, then 
Justin, I was talking with Justin. He happens to be a partner of the Autism Hope Alliance. I knew they were a great high quality product. I, I knew that. I just thought CBD was CBD. And um, then I learned about CBDA. And I remember Justin was like, okay, we're going to send you a bottle. And I'm like, okay, great. That's awesome. Yay. <laughs> and like, I was grateful, but I was more like, dude, we have tried it. Like, it's not going to help. I really believed it wasn't going to do any different. And, but at that point I was willing to try anything. And so he sent it, um, it sat on my desk for like two weeks and we finally switched over and I am not joking and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this within 20 minutes that kid that was super aggressive was no longer. And that was over four years ago. I think probably in four years we might've had maybe, and again, this is a maybe, maybe three types of aggression, like show its face, but very mild. And was, he was able to rebound very, very fast. Um, where before we were getting, oh my goodness, it's hard to even remember. I feel like well over mm, 10 to 30, maybe more aggression behaviors a day. So um, it, it varied on the day. And I just remember feeling like we were walking on eggshells. So now we have this new CBDA, you know, that we're doing um, over four years ago. Everything kind of gets back to the way it was prior to aggression, meaning we can actually now do, like, as you heard, Justin, as you did the introduction, we can do horseback riding. We couldn't do that before. We could do surfing. We can go on vacations. We could do our therapies and, and just like, again, have a quality of life. Like, you know, obviously we still had other diagnoses in there with autoimmune and autism, but okay, we can deal with that. Like we can help him cope. We can help give him strategies. We can help him feel better so he can do better. And that's what we always say. If a kiddo of any age can feel better, they can do better. And, um, and it was great, really great. <laughs> and, um, it still is great, right? Like we, to us, CBDA is when Justin calls it the miracle plant. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a better word for it. It truly is a miracle plant. Well, a little over a month ago, December 9th, um, my son, um, he, started not feeling well that evening and his tummy started bothering him. And, you know, when you have a kiddo of any age, um, that has autoimmune issues, digestive issues, like I do, you, you know, you're become a detective. So you're like, okay, what did he eat today? Like what's going on? Like maybe it's the flu, you know, like people still get the flu. Nobody talks about that. Right. Like maybe it's something like a little bug. I have no idea that he caught. And so I'm going through all of you know, the checkoff list in my head. And this just seems different. And a couple hours, and of course, nothing happens in the middle of the day. It always happens late at night, right? So it's like emergencies never happen at 12 o'clock on like a Wednesday in the afternoon. It's always like midnight on a Friday, it feels like. And so that's exactly what happened for us. It was the evening on a Friday. And he, like I said, was just all of a sudden in pain. I was trying to figure it out. Um, at first, like I thought it was severe constipation for whatever reason, or maybe the flu. And, um, he just, he was getting really bad pretty rapidly. Um, he then threw up and again, wasn't sure. Like, again, it could be a stomach bug. I, I wasn't sure. And, um, about two and a half hours into it in the evening, he just didn't look right. So I start Googling, you know, different things. And, um, I come across appendicitis bowel obstruction, or severe constipation. So these appear to have all similar symptoms um, that he was having. So I was praying for a severe constipation, obviously, because the other two looked pretty scary. And it still wasn't getting better. He had first complained that the middle part of his stomach hurt, and then he started moving over to the side where the appendix was. And so I thought, oh, goodness gracious, please don't be this. And I started calling ERs. I actually Googled... Um, autism-friendly ERs in my area and nothing pops up, which kind of sucked because I was hoping there would be like somebody that wrote a blog or something. Nope, nothing. And so I started calling my top three choices that I had thought about to take him. And um, I wanted to see, you know, who was less busy because again, now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like I have to take him to the ER in the middle of the night, which by the way, none of us like to do. Now add into the fact of that, of that my son has autism and sensory issues and oh my goodness, it's just in now in pain and are the hospital employees going to understand all this? There's just all these things going in my mind. So I ended up getting a hold of one um, and talked to them, let them know my situation. I knew they had valet parking, so I knew that would be easier to 
drive in and valet park my car. They had somebody waiting, letting, you know, the wheelchair there for us, um, which was helpful. Um, we were able to get in right away again, very helpful. Um, I don't know if it was because of the phone call or we just got lucky that it was a slow night again. I don't know, but I was just happy that we were being seen. Um, you know, as a mother of a child with that, you know, that with special needs, um, and over 18, we're also his conservator, um, in other states, you guys just call it guardianship, but here in California, we're his conservator. And so you have to bring those papers with you to the hospital. So I have like this checkoff list before we even go like, okay, bring the conservatorship papers, bring all of his medications that he's on, you know, bring our emergency bag. It's like this whole medical bag that we bring. Um, of course have the CBD a in there, you know, that's a given that goes everywhere with us. And so we get to the hospital, um, around by the time we get checked in and we're in a room, it's midnight now. Um, they want to do a CT scan on him. They do that. It turns out, um, by 5.00 AM that we're told that he has an appendicitis at the time I ask, you know, the only thing I know pretty much about this is, you know, you always hear people say, Oh, did it rupture? So I, of course I asked that question, did it rupture? Yeah. They said no. So they don't seem in a huge hurry. They're like, we're going to, he, we're going to have to do surgery and we're waiting for the surgeon and blah, 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 blah. Right. That's what it feels like when you're in the emergency room and it's already going into the next day and you haven't gone to sleep yet. You're kind of just scared for your kiddo. And so at that point I was nervous, but I was like, okay, I know this is a standard procedure, you know, like I'm believing that it's not like this huge crisis of an emergency because they don't seem to be rushing us like how you'd see like on a, you know, Grey's Anatomy or like ER or something like these TV shows. It doesn't look like that. So they are getting us comfortable in an hour own room around. Now it's, we're still waiting for a surgeon. And now it's around probably 1130 in the afternoon. Mind you, we came in at 11 o'clock the night before. Now it's 1130 or so in the, the afternoon, in the morning time, the next day. And so, um, he starts being in excruciating pain and I still, I mean, this is still fairly new. So this has only happened less, a little over a month ago now. And, um, we basically, you know, I'm sitting there looking at him and I'm like, and he's like, mommy, 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 tell me, tell me, tell me, owie, mommy, 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 owie, mommy, rub. And he has limited language, but he understands everything, right? So he's trying to communicate with me the best he knows how. And I'm his mom. I'm one, I'm exhausted. Two, I'm super scared. I feel incredibly helpless. I'm doing everything I can to help my kid. I'm sneaking CBDA the entire time we're there um, because I know hospitals aren't, you know, up to speed yet. And so I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I know to do at this point. And the CNA comes in, which is the assistant to the nurse. And I'm telling her like something's changed. He's in a lot of pain. I need you to get him higher pain meds because this isn't working. Like, and she's telling me, oh, you should have had them call that order up from ER before they transferred you over to this room. Yeah. Cause like that's, I know that, right? Like who knows that? Nobody knows that. So I'm looking at her and I'm getting frustrated because I'm feeling very scared for my son. I believe somewhere between that time and before surgery, which was at three o'clock in the afternoon, I think he, he ruptured his appendix at that point. I think if we would have got him earlier, that we might not have had the complications than we then had. So then what ends up happening, they finally um, get us to surgery. Now, mind you, I'm giving them CBDA this whole time because I don't. they're not giving us enough pain meds and they're taking hours to give him anything. From what I understand from anybody who's ever had an appendicitis or appendix rupture, this, I have heard it now, gosh, 40, 50 times. And people tell me it's the most excruciating pain they've ever felt. So it makes me so sad for my kiddo, but here I am, his mom. And like, they're not doing anything. Like they're like not really listening to me. Right. I think at that point they're still believing it hasn't ruptured or something. I have no idea. So, um, which is just ridiculous. So then the surgeon comes in and he tells me it's about going to be a 45 minute surgery. It's standard. We'll be in the hospital a day or two. I'm telling him, well, I'm not leaving. So I'm staying here for the next two days is what I thought at that moment. And, um, and they don't seem again rushed or anything. Right. So like, I'm just like, okay, I'm a mom. Maybe I'm overreacting. You know, I don't know. So, they take them away. Um, I have to wait in this like lounge area thing. Um, and then 45 minutes goes by. I'm thinking, okay, like 
they're going to call. Cause I told them, make sure I'm there when he in the recovery room, when he recovers. And I got special permissions because I didn't want him to be wheeled in and me not be there. I wanted to be there when he opened his eyes and they're not getting me. So now I'm kind of getting nervous. Like what's going on? So I call the number and I'm like, Hey, my kid's in, you know, surgery, what's going on? They're like, Oh yeah, he's still in there. There's complications. That's all I'm being told. So now it's like an hour and 15 minutes. I call back, still complications, still in surgery. Hour, 40 minutes. Mind you, this, they're telling me it's supposed to be a 45 minute surgery. So now we're at an hour and 40 minutes, an hour over almost the time they say. <sighs> and so I'm trying not to get teary eyed. Sorry. I, you think you'd be over. I've said the story now and I feel I still get teary eyed. I apologize. But anyway, so now it's an hour and 40 minutes and they're still telling me complications. Two hours go by, still complications. I call it two hours, 15 minutes, two hours, 30 minutes. I'm literally calling every 15 minutes because I'm getting no information and I'm really getting nervous and I'm by myself. And I'm just like, I just was just praying and just so sad. I'm scared, right? I don't know what's going on. Um, I know something's drastically wrong. Now we're close to three hours. Um, and the doctor finally calls and he says, we had major complications. Um, when we opened him up, his whole, his appendix had ruptured so badly that he was, body was filled with pus and stool and he's septic and major, major infection. And I swear, like I hear this, but like my brain is kind of like now and like just turning off. So if you guys remember Charlie Brown cartoon, like the teacher would say, wah, 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 wah. Like that's kind of what I'm hearing at this point, because then he later, Actually, his first words before he even said, before he said major complications was, he said, oh, we didn't have to take any of his intestines, thankfully, which I was like, wait, what? I thought we were going in for appendicitis. Like, what are you talking about? These? Like, I don't know any of this, right? Then he goes on to tell me the major complications. And then he tells me we're going to be in the hospital a minimum of 10 to 14 days. And then I just start crying and hyperventilating because like, it's just so much and I hadn't slept yet. And, um. I just, nobody wants to hear that, right? Like, and I don't know how we're going to make it. Like, I'm thinking he has autism. We're supposed to stay in this hospital now. Like, we've never had anything like this happen to us. And um, and so the doctor says, are you okay? Because I'm like crying. And I said, I told him, I said, just give me a second, please. And then I said, can you please repeat what you just said to me? Because I want to make sure that I'm processing this properly. So he says it again. And then I compose myself the best I can. And then I asked him to send somebody out to get me because I'm supposed to be in the recovery area with my son. So he says, okay. Um, he did let me know that they were going to make arrangements because I told them I was not leaving that hospital and that they were going to make arrangements to make sure that, you know, the hospital staff knew I was spending the night and such. And so I said, okay. So they, they come and get me. I go and see my son and, um, you know, I'm just so petrified because, you know, I, now I'm like annoyed, upset, scared. There's like tons of emotions in me because I'm thinking, why didn't you guys take him when we first got here? Like, but there's no way of me knowing when it fully ruptured. It may be like it was slowly rupturing. I really don't know. I just know that I think they waited too long and, you know, that just happens. I wish I would have now known, which I did not know. I should have at that moment asked, as minute we found out it was an appendicitis, I should have been like, hey, when's the surgeon going to come? What do you mean you don't know? Great. 911 somebody or find out. Like, I'm not going to sit around and wait for this thing to rupture. If you guys can't take me, find a hot, your sister hospital. Can we be transported, you know, by ambulance? Like something. But I didn't know. I really didn't. I thought that they knew what they were doing in the sense of waiting, I guess. Like, I don't, it didn't even enter my mind as a question to ask, which I'm still kicking myself over because I wish I would have asked that question, which I didn't. And um, so I, I highly recommend if any, this happens to anybody listening, make sure to ask those questions. Make sure you don't wait for surgery for so long, especially if it hasn't ruptured yet. Um, so then there's that. Um, we then get into the, the room that now they're, changing rooms on us for a longer term stay. He has this, I forgot what they call it. It's like this nose thing that goes in your nose that goes down your throat. We're sitting there. The doctor tells me, make sure he does not pull this thing out of his nose. Like that was my one instruction. And I'm like, okay. The nurse then gives him some ice chips. He starts choking. And I'm like, I think he's choking. And they're like, no, 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 he's not choking. I'm like, no, but he is. So they then rush over. Apparently, they didn't put the tube all the way into the esophagus or something. And so it was coiled in the back of his throat. So he was choking. The nurse had to pull it out. 
the whole tube, which I almost went down just watching. I was not prepared to see that. And, um, so now I'm like, Oh great. The one instructions the doctor told me I can't even do. Cause like, they're not, he's not going to put that tube back in his nose, like awake. There's no way. Like, so now they're like, okay, now we have to be really careful. And so I'm just, I don't know. I'm just beside myself. He's in a lot of pain. He just looks so weak. And, um, and so the minute that I knew we could, you know, give ice chips or water or whatever, I just started giving him CBD. And then I, um, even asked Justin to please send me some topical. So we were like using topical, everything we knew he was throwing up one of the nights, super bad. Um, and I will say this also, if you have a loved one in the hospital, stay in the hospital. I don't care if you have to take shifts with people. I don't care how great the hospital is and what city you're in. I won't say what city we were in for privacy purposes, but we were in a very upscale, very nice, considered top 10% in California hospital. And I definitely would never recommend anybody. I don't even care if they have autism, don't have autism, like never leave a loved one in there overnight because like my son, when he was throwing up that one night, if I wasn't in there, I think he really would have choked death because he's throwing up. I'm pushing the button for whatever reason, the button wasn't working that day. I don't know why for that particular moment they were having issues. Um, they don't keep somebody in the room. I found out with anybody with special needs or even Alzheimer's, which I kind of think that should change, but whatever. Um, that's another fight for another day, I guess. But, um, they do video monitoring, but that now hopes that that's working. Like what if there's a glitch? Like what if they're not watching that? Like it's just crazy. So like I was in there, I was able to help him through that. Um, a nurse didn't come in for 45 minutes and literally were puking everywhere. It was scary. Um, we ended up being in the hospital for 28 days of complications. We had an infectious, uh, disease doctor. We had a, the surgeon team, we had the internal medicine. Then we ended up having finally a GI specialist. Um, he ended up having bowel obstruction and an ileus, and that happens after surgery. We didn't go in with that, but because of surgery, this is something, quote unquote, they say is normal. I don't know how anything is normal because it seems to me that in 2023, we should figure this out a little bit better. But anyways, that's the case. So we're dealing with that. On top of dealing with a kid already who has autoimmune issues and um, motility issues and everything else. So now we're dealing with this massive fevers, infections, septic, finally, we're able to clear that up, which I found out was like, even the infectious disease doctor was like, wow, like, this is amazing. We were able to get rid of it so fast. I, of course, do not say anything about CBDA. Um, I kind of tried to feel out like, you know, some of the people and like, you could kind of tell like, who was going to not be receptive and who might have been, but I still wanted to be very careful. Um, we did have a couple of nurses like, kind of like give us like, oh yeah, we know people that do CBD and, um, that they've completely helped their families. And we don't know what you do in this room when we're not here. Kind of like, don't tell us if you're doing something. That's the feeling I got, right. They didn't come out and say that, but they kind of did. Right. And so we just continued to give CBDA. I literally have people like my family was there, um, throughout the day at different points. And I never left. I never left the, the room, not once. And, um, but I would have them look at the door and be like, okay, is anyone coming? And we would like have to run over and like, you know, give the CBD. Um, I had syringes with us and like, then, and then I'd have to mask the smell. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to come in and he's on MPO and like, he's only allowed little sips of water at certain points. And so I would, there was a sink in our room and I would take soap and like put the soap in the sink to get the smell kind of like, hopefully they couldn't smell it. And, um, then he was at one point cause he couldn't keep anything down. Um, and his intestines were like swelling and the ileus was getting worse and the infections. I mean, one night he was so bad, like that was probably one of the worst night. There was one night the fever just wouldn't break. And, um, he, uh, they had me taking washcloths and every half an hour I'd have to switch the washcloths. They put it on his ha head, under his arms, on his groin area. And I'd switch it out every half an hour. And because it would, the washcloths would be so hot even after I took them off. And, and then he, his, um, oxygen levels were going down. They were putting oxygen masks on him. And then, um, his heart rate went up like so high at one point and his blood pressure went down so low. I remember one night I was just holding his hand and, you know, I'll never forget this ever for my whole life now, because it was the scariest thing, um, ever being a mom so far. And I'm looking at him and I'm just like, 
sweetie, I love you. I don't know if this is, I don't know what God intends and what the end of the days are for us, but like, just thank you for being my son. And just, goodness, I just, it was so hard. Like, let me just say, it was just so hard because I didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. And he was literally fading in front of my eyes. Like he was just like, he lost after all of his 20 pounds and he was already really skinny. And I just, he couldn't walk anymore. Like he couldn't stand up. Like we had to try to help him walk and try to teach him to walk again. Um, we're still working on that right now. He's doing a lot better, but like, it was very scary. And all the doctors didn't really know what to do. And that was also really scary. So then I learned later about concierge doctors and like how you can have a concierge doctor that basically you hire to come in and kind of oversee your other doctors. And that way you don't have to go through rotation. Cause that was the other thing. Like we had 28 days, but like some days you have like, let's say your internal doctor, they might be there for four days and then a new one comes in for four days. And then you have a different person on the weekends and same thing with surgeons. And then our surgeon went on vacation for two weeks. So then we had all these new ones coming in, checking on us. Then, um, our infectious disease person, you have them for a short time and then you have somebody else during the weekend. And it was like so many hands in the cookie jar, like nobody could really have consistent care. So it wasn't like he was getting any better. So then I found out, oh, if you want, you can do concierge medicine where you do pay for it every year. However, you can have your main primary doctor, if you want to make sure they have hospital rights, then they you can deal with them and they can deal with all the hospitalists and the specialists making sure everything's going right. I mean, we had a fight for like a vitamin C bag because our autism doctors who didn't have hospital rights were saying, hey, use this for inflammation, use this, use that. And like, then I had to like explain to a hospitalist who, I hate to say it, didn't really have any concept on how to help my kiddo, like for, you know, for the long run in my, in my mind, at least like they were like, Oh, we don't usually prescribe vitamin C, you know, IV bags. And you're like, what? You can go down the street and pay a hundred bucks and go into one of those places and get a vitamin C IV drip like these days for jet lag, even like this is ridiculous. And so of course, we were not going to say anything about, <laughs> we couldn't get vitamin C. We for sure weren't going to say anything about CBDA, right? <laughs> and so um, we became the smugglers of CBD and we were just like literally giving it to him. Um, because he couldn't have foods, they first did a PPN line, which is like um, mild nutrition through an IV. If those lines blow, they have to get special shots in the arm to make sure the tissue doesn't get damaged. Well, of course, it blew. So they gave five shots in one arm. They ended up putting it in another arm. That one blew. So then they had to do another five shots. Then we had to do a pick line, which I really didn't want to do. And um, we did that. And then they said, oh, well, he's allergic to so many different foods. We don't actually have all the nutrition that he needs here in the hospital. Fatty acids is one of them because they only had soy, which doesn't make any sense to me either. So then we were literally um, smuggling additional omegas. And then we found out that the CBD we were giving them also had that in there, which was great. So we had that plus additional omegas that we were smuggling in by mouth for him. And, um, it was funny cause they kept saying like, Oh, like his fatty acids, for some reason he must've had a surplus because it's not showing low. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, cause we're smuggling him in his mouth, but okay. Um, and so now we're on this pick line and it's just insane. And I, Finally, at day 28, I was like, okay, like we need to leave this hospital because he's not getting better. At this point, he can't still really walk. He's stable enough now where we were like, let's do a trial. Can he handle liquids? Can he handle a little puree food? And it seemed to be that he could. We had five CT scans at that point before leaving the hospital. It still showed ileus. However, it was moving down. So it was like, okay. The intestines that it was swollen in um, and was not deflated all the way yet, but it looked like it was going down still. So we're like, well, that's good. And I believe if we did not have that CBDA, one, there's no way he would have been able to handle all of these like tests. Like he has to go into this room. I'm with him, but they have to, you know, he has to lay on the table and he has to not move for five minutes and, you know, all the CT scans. I think we had over 20 x-rays. I lost count. And he can't move. He has to stand, you know, stay still and do this. All these new people coming in and out constantly, which was also driving us nuts. He was able to tolerate that. Um, that was huge. He probably had over 40 
blood draws before well over 40 actually. Yeah. So I don't even know how many I lost count um, and how many times they blew his veins and everything else well over 40 times. Um, and then the pick line, he, he, um, he couldn't move. And all of that, I guarantee you would n- never have taken place without CBDA. Um, and he, um, he was a trooper. Like he surpassed anything I could have imagined we could have done together as a team. And I was so proud of him. And, um, you know, you know, to give you guys a picture too, when you have Alzheimer's or autism or any type of neurological condition as my guess, when you're doing, um, a pick line or a CT scan, we got lucky four out of the five times with the CT scan. We didn't get this jerky guy, but one of the times we ended up getting this jerky guy and he had, um, uh, he basically had these, uh, I keep calling them handcuffs, but it wasn't handcuffs. It was um, restraints, right? They were like these Velcro kind of restraints. And he wanted to put my kid in restraints. And then they had a nurse to the side with an injection just in case he had behavioral issues. They were going to inject him with what I still don't know. And I got into it with him and we went back and forth and I was pretty upset and I said, no. And he didn't want to let me stay in the room. He was like, no, we don't need you. We have restraints. And if they have autism or Alzheimer's or dementia, we automatically do this as protocol. And I just was disgusted. And I was like, you don't even know my kid. Like, how are you going to just say because of this label? Then fine, we're not doing the CT scan. And like, I refused it. And then finally, they allowed me to stay in. I um, did not allow any of the stuff they wanted. He sat there peacefully, five minutes, listened to all of the directions, did great. And again, they had predetermined due to his diagnosis what they thought it was going to be, which oh, is just so disgusting still. And then the same thing with the pick line guy. He comes in and he's like, well, no, it has to be a clean room. Mom, you can't stay. And I'm like, well, then we're not doing it. Like, not going to happen. Like, I stay with him 100% all the time and we're not doing restraints. At that point, I took the restraints and threw him across the room because I was so insulted by them. The, he actually apologized. That guy did. The CT guy didn't, but the pick line guy did. And Jackson did amazing. I mean, he did better than I did because I didn't, couldn't even look. I was almost going to, I was trying not to like pass out when I saw that huge thing that had to go in him. Um, so again, CBDA has just like, I don't, I don't know how we, I just can't even imagine. I'm so glad I don't have to imagine it. I don't know what would have happened. I just know it would have not been pretty if we didn't have that. And um, we get home And, you know, he's, like I said, he still has a journey. We now have our specialist teams that we're dealing with and we have a concierge doctor now in place. If anything ever goes, you know, wrong again, like I won't feel so helpless in that hospital. And that's the best advice I can give is to, you know, here I thought being, you know, I run an organization for autism. I'm pretty organized. I'm more of a type A personality. And, um, I thought I had so many things put in place. And I did not, I did not have, nor did I think about in case of an emergency in this, in this situation, why I didn't think of it, I don't know, but I didn't. And now I am, and I'm still putting everything in place and, you know, uh, trying to make sure if there ever is another situation like this, that we will be prepared. You know, our concierge doctor, maybe we'll only see him prime. He's now going to be our primary for him. Maybe we'll only see him once a year for a physical and, you know, um, he's willing to work with our autism doctor specialists, which is great. And that's, you know, a big deal. Um, and you know, maybe we'll only have to use him if he gets a cold or, you know, something dumb. We don't really ever go to the doctor for that kind of stuff, but you know, maybe we'll end up using him for something like that. But I look at it like this, you pay for car insurance and you hope that you never have to use it. And that's how I'm looking at it with my concierge, uh, for my son. I hope that we never have to use him in the hospital. But now knowing that they exist and how much easier our life could have been and perhaps we would have been treated faster and better and like not been a number, you know, to these people, um, you know, I know they're doing their best, but that's just unfortunately the way the healthcare system is set up right now. And um, I think that if I can give advice to others as well as to make sure if you can, whether it be a GoFundMe account that you need to raise a few thousand dollars for the year to pay for them or whatnot, but, or ask your family during holidays or whatever you guys get presents, you know, Hey, just put towards this fund. To me, that's one of the most important things that I can have for my son right now. And it's just peace of mind. I never want to go through that again. Um, 
And again, like I, like I said earlier, never leave your kiddo or individual that you love alone in a hospital. And, and also like the CBDA, like, honestly, I knew it helped with pain. I knew it helped with inflammation. I knew that it could help him in so many more ways that I could imagine. And I don't think we would be here in the way that we are right now without that. I think they would have had to maybe use restraints and it would have been out of my control. I think that, you know, maybe like his inflammation would have not gone down the way we needed it to because they were giving nothing for inflammation, nothing. And um, the pain, oh my gosh, imagine being somebody with, oh, this makes me sad saying this, sorry. Imagine being somebody with autism, with limited language. You're trying to tell your mom that you're in so much pain and she's doing everything she can to help you. And like, nobody's giving you anything. And at least your mom had that in her purse. Like I had that in my purse and I was giving it, I would have poured that whole bottle down his throat knowing that everything would have been fine. I know he can't overdose on CBDA. So it doesn't get you high. It gets you healthy. And I knew at that point that that was going to help his pain. And I just kept giving it to him. And I, I know it wasn't taking away all of his pain, But now hearing from others that that was the most excruciating pain they'd ever experienced, my gosh, my kiddo went through that and basically up until the very end, almost only had CBDA right before surgery. Like, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. And so I feel like at least I had that. Like, at the very least, I had that. Like, he should have had more. Absolutely. But I know that was helping him. And so, yeah, now we have again, we're, we're just trying to get back to our normal life. Like I knew being at home was probably going to be his best bet. Um, we have a saltwater pool that we heat up to 94 degrees. And so like, you know, I knew that he couldn't walk that well, but low impact, at least we could get him in the pool and get him moving and get his body moving again. This is a kid who's an athletic, like he, you know, he serves, he horseback rides, he swims typically two hours a day. He's moving all the time to now be a kid that could barely walk and is laying in a bed, you can't tell me that's good for mobility, motility or mobility um, of your bowels and everything. So it's, um, you know, I know that we have a road, you know, journey ahead of us still for a couple months. And uh, I just, I try to look at it like, okay, the silver lining is that now I have emergency situations put in place. I am so grateful for CBDA because my gosh, like, again, what if we didn't have it? Where would we be? I don't want to think about it. And I just tell, you know, every family that's listening out there, like, you might think like, oh, I've planned for everything. And we just, it's impossible to plan for everything. I get that. But, you know, to know that at least you have in your purse, the CBDA, the very least as, as his mom and being a mom, at least I had that, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't kiss his boo-boos better like we did when we were little kids, like, right? Like when your kid could skin their knee, kiss their boo-boo, right? I couldn't do that. Like he was in so much pain. It didn't matter how many kisses and hugs I gave him. But I had the CBDA and that I knew got us through it. And I knew I had something and I could give him something that it could help at that moment. And I didn't have to wait for some order from somebody that didn't do their job properly and now wait two more hours, right? Because that's the worst. So anyway, so that's where we are now. And, um, we're seeing him daily get back to his like smiles and happiness. He's still pretty tired at times. Um, and again, it's, he's, you know, we're still recovering and, um, but thank goodness for the CBDA and uh, again, grateful and a miracle are words that I think that should be in everybody's, um, vocabulary, but this plant is, um, definitely the miracle plant. So that's our story. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And I know it was, I mean, it was condensed into 45 minutes, but, you know, obviously this was over, you know, 30 days or 28 days. And I know that, you know, we were getting updates from you and texts and, and uh, prayer, lots and lots of prayers and, and, you know, uh, sending all the, the CBDA and Miracle Plant we could. And uh, yeah, I know. I mean, it was, it was, you know, there were some very, um, scary moments. I mean, I mean, it, and just for me, and I was on the other side, I wasn't in the room and you were in there every minute, you know, and obviously the devotion um, that you showed was so, uh, what, what an example, um, you've set and for everybody to, you know, trust their instincts and, and stay in the room. Like, don't let, don't let someone talk you out of what you know is right. And I, and I think that is the silver lining. I know you're talking about doing a book or a guide or something, 
for everyone, you know, but especially people with diagnoses that um, that are treated that way. But I'm just so happy that Jackson's home and he's on his road to recovery and that this miracle plant needs to needs to be understood um, and doctors need to be trained on it. And, um, you know, there's the Hippocratic Oath that says do no harm. And this plant does no harm. And this plant helps with pain and inflammation and are helping our bodies find homeostasis. And I'm just so grateful that you had something in your purse. Um, and just like we needed something for our son when he was battling, uh, you know, his, his severe diagnosis. So just uh, kudos to you, Kristen. Mom, did you have anything to share about, uh, about this? Oh, I know. I, like Justin said, there's just so many properties of the CBDA and our body makes something like it. So it's sitting there waiting with the receptors. And it's so sad that the research is so clear on how it works in all those ways. And, but the, doc, the medical community has not really accepted it. But no, what, and what a blessing. You just never know. Like, I remember I met you on a podcast, my first podcast, actually, with Justin talking about our story. And just to see how that got you started and then gave you the, to me, the true miracle of having that at the hospital. I've been there with my kids close to death and nobody listening. And, and I always was sneaking in my herbs and stuff at the time. I didn't have CBDA. And so I totally believe my son was paralyzed, all the things I snuck in and didn't discuss with the doctors. So my other wish, too, is that doctors would be more open and at least give some credence that, you know, plants and natural food and healthy things uh, often can be more effective. So in a sense, you were probably lucky you didn't have all the, of the medications. But I just bless you for what you went through and for also that you thought to keep using the CBDA and, use it and not being afraid to use a lot of it and frequently. Uh, I totally agree with you. That's what got him through it. And um, anyway, you're such, and you're such a blessing uh, to help other people learn about this miracle. So thank you so much. I'm just so grateful for, for you and Justin and all of the 101, you know, uh, family and the the miracle plant um, in itself because again if people if you guys think you've if a lot of people will say oh I've tried CBD I don't see a difference if you have not tried CBDA then it is not just CBD and I think that is where the big missing pieces for so many people not understanding um, is that CBD and CBDA are not the same um, and that CBD and itself does not get you high. You're not going to get high off of this. So CBDA is just the whole plant and it's the raw form. And it's, you know, I think so many of us, we need all of that. We don't need just part of it. And I mean, I know you guys have other talks on that as well, but that's just my, my mom version of explaining people like, Hey, like you, I hear it all the time. Oh, we tried CBD. Uh, I don't know. It didn't really do much for me again. So did I, and it was not CBDA. It was not this particular miracle plant that you and Justin and um, everybody, you know, over at the miracle plant talks about. So if I can't say it enough, you know, just learn about it and then try it and then make your mind up. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better. Well, I, I, I'm so happy that Jackson's home. I'm so happy that he's on his road to recovery and that we can, uh, you know, learn from, from this story and that you don't have to go through this ever again. And, um, yeah, just, I'm just happy he's home. That's all I wanted. I remember I kept just get him home, get him out of there. How do we get him out of there? And, uh, and just continue to encourage people to trust their instincts. So just wonderful news. What a happy ending to such a scary story at the end of every miracle plant podcast, we say heal the world. And if you're listening to this podcast in 2023 or 2073, that's what this is about. And we want others to listen to these stories, to feel these vibrations, to get out there and trust your instincts that there is another way. You want to have all the options on the table when it comes to your health or the health of your loved ones. You should have every possible viable option available to you. And doctors should be educated and should be encouraging you to do the same. More options, more ideas, plants definitely need to be a part of it. And certainly this miracle plant. So on the count of three, let's say heal the world. And I know we're doing a lot of healing with sharing this story. So on the count of three, let's say heal the world. One, two, three. Heal the world. Heal the world. <laughs> and heal, heal your children, <laughs> which you did. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming by the Miracle Plant Podcast. And we'll see you next week. Be a blessing to somebody. Happy healing. And we're out. Yay! I we think did the it. Third time's the charm. That's more like the fifth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Oh, and, and, and Kristen, what a miracle. I mean, you saved your son's life. I, I have no I, doubt. I, I didn't. The CBDA is but, definitely. But you, and also your love and prayers and all that in your presence. But And then no, knowing that you had something and then using it against AMA or against medical advice or whatever they say. I mean, you saved his life. If you had not given that to him regularly, I have no doubt with all the inflammation and all the nerve issues and all the things that were going on. And like you say, keeping him calm so they weren't terrifying him. With Oh, yeah. I think he, there was definitely a night, like, and you guys know already, that I, I did not think he was going to make it through the night. And that's the weirdest, most horrible, most, you don't even like to say out loud as a parent, right? Like, you never right. want to. And so, but it's, uh, I felt it. And I prayed a lot. I know God got us through it. I know that, that, um, and I, you know, I don't know if you want to use that as a blog of some sort, you know, uh, Justin, of like, you know, a mom only had this in her purse, you know, like that's yeah, like yeah. how I, I didn't have anything other than prayers and CBDA in my purse. That's pretty yeah. much what I had. And as a mom, you do want to kiss their boo-boos away. And thankfully I had the CBDA because I, everyone I've talked to, and it just breaks my heart even more is that tells me they've had an appendicitis and the pain. I mean, I haven't yet to hear one person, some of these people are like, strong men that like you know like ex-marines and stuff right and they're like that was the worst pain I've ever felt and you're just like oh my gosh like why are we in a hospital and they're not rushing you and they're making you sit there for 15 hours that's just stupid you know um but yeah I'm so grateful so thank you guys for all your texts and I felt bad one day because I was like you know obviously was very sleep deprived also but I was like oh man I probably just scared the crap out of our group text when I texted a picture <laughs> I didn't, I, after I did it, I went, Oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I probably scared those poor people. Um, but it was, you know, I felt so alone and my texts, I only had a handful of people I was texting, you know? Um, and I was very careful. And when I was posting stuff, because I didn't have time to answer everybody, you know, um, I didn't have the mental capacity, honestly, to, to answer, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, uh, basically, uh, you guys were in my, my small circle and, uh, just thank you for getting me through that and for being there for me. And, um, I feel like this week I'm getting back to a little bit to who I am again. And I feel good about that. And, uh, you know, I still sleep with him every night. I'm still super scared to leave him by himself. And I think that's just me having to eventually get through it. You know, he's probably fine now. He's probably like, mom, leave. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but it, I'm just so like, I just, I'm too scared. And, uh, it's, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll get through it, <laughs> but well, you, I, got, you got your PTSD there. You just do. Oh, hundred percent. A hundred. I've been to it two or three times and yeah, you just can't do anything. Yeah. yeah. So give your, take your own CBD yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Double up your own CBD water. <laughs> totally. So, um, and, and I, I will, <laughs> and I will write a blog and I like that title. The mom with only CBDA and prayer. <laughs> yeah. It's like in, in my purse. purse, what I have in my purse, like, you know how they have the back of those people magazines that says what's in her purse, you know, kind of oh. thing. Like, I feel like it's like, okay, moms that, you know, kiss the boo-boos away. But when the, when your kisses aren't enough, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> what's mm. in your purse? Oh, thankfully I have CBDA. Yeah. Well, I love you guys. I'm so, so grateful. And like I said, like I am uh, getting back to my old self and, um, I am excited that my projects will start coming back and I'm still in the middle. Like, I'm like the last five seconds of this darn GSX, you know, uh, GSX, JSX video, like going back and forth with editing. I'm like, I've never been so behind on anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing you, you'll catch up faster than any human ever has. <laughs> it's just so weird. Everyone's like, oh, the universe, God wants this. It's like, I get that, but I still, I still want to be me again. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I will, I will come back stronger than ever. And, uh, like I, I told my husband that, I mean, my husband and I sleep in separate bedrooms anyways, because just the way our lives are, we just like sleep, right? <laughs> sleep is very important to us. And, um, and he has his room. I have my room for sleep. Um, but I said to him, I said, well, hopefully this weekend, like I will try to attempt to like let Jackson sleep by himself. I mean, he's on a monitor. I can hear him. And um, it's just, you know, you get that, that fear, that fear factor. I just need to, but I think I need my sleep again. And, you know, and I, and I think that it's all going to be okay. I mean, that's, there's, to me, there's no other option other than it being okay. So. Mm -hmm. Well, he's, you know. he's home and healing and he's on his road. Yeah. So that's all we can do. And we're, we're getting, we're looking forward to um, him being all better by April, his 21st birthday, which is also weird to say that I have a 21 year old. Um, his, uh, 21st birthday is in April and we're going to be taking him to Hawaii 
Um, I cashed in all of our points. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I had been paying on it and I'm, I think I have one more payment on it. I just, I look at it when it's something expensive and I just make it in payments that way I don't feel it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, cause I'm all about experiences. I don't care about belongings and things. I'm all about experiences. And, um, and so I wanted his experience to be great. So we are going to Hawaii in April, mid April for nine days. And, uh, so I'm like, okay. We just have to be healthy by then. I need to get everything caught up by then. I need to be ahead of everything. <laughs> I just keep telling myself that. So I will. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, I'm allowed to bring CBDA to Hawaii. Last time I went to Hawaii was 2016. I did bring CBD. And at that point, we were still doing THC. Um, and what I did was I took all the bottles and I put the labels of fungus to fungus stuff. Like the I switched all the labels out and I put it in a bag of I literally went to the store and bought, I think it's called vaginal something or other hemorrhoid cream. I bought everything disgusting you could think of. And I put it in like the, kept it in the smaller, you know, cause you're allowed, uh, you know, was it three ounces or whatever? And mm -hmm. I kept it in the Ziploc and I just carried it on that way. So every time they pulled it out, it'd be like fungus, vaginal cream, <laughs> hemorrhoid cream. They're like, okay, here you go, man. <laughs> cause I didn't know how else to get it through. I did the same thing in Panama, which I am so glad I did not get caught and get put in jail like what lady in Russia, but like I did, because when you land in Panama, there's a big thing that says no pot, you will be put to, in prison, right? They're like, as you land, it's pretty scary. And um, I brought THC and CBD and all that, but I did the same kind of thing. Um, I was told that you can't sell, like it's not pot, that's the whole thing that's super annoying, but like I was told that you can't buy it or something there, but like, or sell it or something, but you're allowed to have it. Is but Am I allowed to bring, do I think? Yeah, yeah, TSA is legal. TSA United States CBD is totally legal. Okay, so I don't have to hide it in fungus. No, 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 no. Okay. Because no. <laughs> I, I would be, I would if I had to. No, I sold with like two hundred bottles going to a convention and went through. So yeah. Oh, in Hawaii, no problem. Well, not Hawaii, but just across America. Yeah. I, okay, I, so I should be fine. I'm not going to get arrested or anything. Yeah. Okay. You're U.S. You're good. Okay. I thought I heard that I was, you know, I always watch your little things that come through Instagram and mm. I heard you talk about it with TSA mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm just going to confirm. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of these days we'll have to talk about how I did illegally transport it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, well, thank you guys for everything and yay. I hope this, I hope this helps tons of people and I hope everybody listens to it. <laughs> Me too. For your All right. All right. Thank you guys for everything. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.